of a hand you got out of bed today. Come on, we celebrate you. We celebrate you getting out of bed today. Do you like celebrating getting out of bed? I hope you do. I saw someone in the lobby earlier, and he said that he came to get a hand clap for getting out of bed. So it works. It's cheesy, uh, but it's not the only thing that's cheesy around here. So um, thank you so much for being here. Again, my name is Pastor Adam Harold, and uh, it's my privilege to be able to people uh, to Jesus, and that's, that's what we do. Um, let me just highlight one of the things that was said in our announcement, um, and that is after service today uh, at 1145, we are giving what we call our My Refuge, which has been sitting around for a little while, and the refuge is just kind of one of those things that it's kind of a part of your life, but it's not in your life. We just want to take the refuge and make it like the things in your life and So you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app, uh, and, and that should be behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, You'll remember, friends, when I first came to you to let, in on, let you in on God's master stroke. I love the way the message paraphrase is worded that. When I came to let you in on God's master stroke, like the thing that he's doing the most, like, the, the, like his, his masterpiece, right? When I came to let you in on it, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches 
or the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. God's master stroke is plain and simple, ladies and gentlemen. It's not, it's not complicated. Like, we make it so complicated. And today I want to talk to you about something that isn't so complicated. Um, he goes on and he says, uh, first, Jesus and who he is. This is, this, is the, this is the part that's not so complicated. First, Jesus and who he is. A lot of times we make Jesus this complicated figure that we try to follow and we try to figure out. But Jesus isn't complicated at all. He goes on, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. The Apostle Paul here says, I kept it, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. That's what we want to do today. God, I thank you so much for what you are about to do. God, this is not about me. This is not about some some speech that, that the, this guy on stage is giving. It's about the gospel and God's word and about the way that it impacts our lives and the way that it, it transforms us. Lord, I pray that the message that I give today would be transforming. Lord, I realize that if if this message will be transforming, it's not because of anything that I say, but it's because of what you say through me. So God, I pray that you would speak through me today. In Jesus' name. I believe that the goal of anyone that communicates the gospel, God's word, the goal of anyone should be to make it about the gospel. It should be to make it about the message. It should be more about the message than it is about the person giving the talk. It should be more about the message than it is about, about the guy on stage. It's never, it's never about the words that I present you, but it's about the words that God has given me to speak to you. And so the way I look at, at communicating God's word is kind of like um, I'll use a, a basketball referee for, for an analogy or, a, or an umpire. The best basketball referees are not talked about after the game. I don't know if any of you saw the, the basketball game last night, but people are talking about the referee from last night's game because of a call that was made, and I don't think it should be about the referee. I go to watch a basketball game to watch basketball players bas- play basketball, or I go to watch a baseball game to watch baseball players play baseball. And so um, it's not about the person officiating the game. It's not about the person giving the talk, but it's about the God that he talks about. You know what I'm saying? So today... I want to make it plain and simple that Jesus wants to be our friend. My desire is to always get up here and to talk about Jesus and only Jesus. It's about him and only him. I don't ever want it to be about me. If it becomes about me, then I've done something wrong. If you come to church to hear me speak, then I've done something wrong. It's not about me. It's about him. But let's be honest. I, I kind of like applause, right? I kind of like some, some, some talking back. I, like, I kind of like to think that it's about me, because we all know. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so today I want to talk about Jesus being our friend. Jesus, Jesus is my friend. One of my favorite things to do with friends is to give them nicknames. Um, I love to give nicknames. I've actually succeeded 
at giving someone a nickname when you come. You know how you know you succeeded is by giving someone a nickname when other people start using that as their name, right? That's how you know you succeeded as a, as um, giving someone a nickname. Um, my favorite, the favorite one that I ever gave was a kid that was on a football team that I helped coach. I was a, I was a youth pastor. I was just helping uh, coach the team. And um, it was a freshman team, which freshmen are, are a little squirrely anyway. But freshman football players are even more squirrely than anyone else. Like, um, because a lot of them have never played football before. And it's, and it's a lot of fun to, um, to teach someone something that they've never done before, um, especially freshmen. Um, so, so there's this kid on the team. And to be 100% honest with you, this nickname is so good, I don't even remember the kid's real name. Like, I, I don't even remember his, his real name, and, and I feel bad for that. But um, what happened was I'm, I'm coaching this football team, and, um, and, and there's, this, there's this kid that, that is new to playing football, and he, and he wears glasses. I wear glasses. That's great. Like, it's fine, except when you wear glasses underneath your football helmet. Guys, if you – kids, if there's any, any kids in here that are thinking about playing freshman football – don't wear your glasses under your football helmet because it's, it's just a pretty bad look. And, um, and you're probably going to get picked on on the football field. And so this kid is wearing his glasses under his, his football helmet every day at practice. And so I just affectionately started calling him Squint because he reminded me from Squint Caladoris on the Sandlot. Everyone knows that a great nickname starts with the Sandlot, the movie. Like, like Cam Porter, it's a great name. The Jet, it's a great name. Squints is a great name. Like, does anyone know what Squints' real name was? No, because it's Squints. Like, it's a great nickname. And so, um, this kid on the football team that I forget his real name, I started calling him Squints. And I knew it was a great nickname when everyone else on the football team started calling him Squints, too. And then, the next thing you know, the head football coach is coaching the game, and he needs squints to go in the game, and he goes, squints, come here. I'm like, I have fully succeeded in giving this kid a nickname because everyone's calling him that. That's how you know a good nickname lasts, because because everyone else starts to call them that nickname. And so um, squints graduates high school. He goes on to become the manager at the local McDonald's. Squints had great things in store for his life. I, I hope and pray that he's not managing that McDonald's anymore. But with a nickname like Squints, you never know. So, that was weird. I'm sorry. So, Squints is managing this McDonald's. I go in a couple years later, and um, and and I'm and I'm in there, I'm getting ready to to order a, a Big Mac. I don't know. And I hear someone yell, hey, Squints, come here. And I look up, and lo and behold, it's this kid that I gave the nickname Squints to when he was a freshman on the football team. And they're still calling him Squints at the McDonald's that he was managing at years later. Like, like I'm talking like two or three years later, they're still calling him Squints. And I just love to give people nicknames. But there are rules that you must follow when giving someone a nickname. Number one rule of giving nicknames, you can't give yourself a nickname, ladies and gentlemen. So what's your name? Uh, they call me Awesome. Really? Like, Awesome? You gave yourself that nickname, didn't you? Oh, yeah. 
awesome. But like, like really, like you can't give yourself a nickname. It has to come from someone else. The second rule is that you have to be consistent with calling that person a nickname. If you call someone a nickname long enough, everyone else will finally will start to call them a nickname. You guys are sitting here going, why is he talking about nicknames? We're at church for crying out loud. Like, why is he talking? They're, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. So you have to be consistent with a nickname. You can't give it to yourself. The third rule of giving a nickname is the person has to give you permission to call them that nickname. Like, you can't call someone a nickname if they don't give you permission to give the nickname. There was another time that I was coaching a football team, um, actually in Wyndham, the last three years that we've lived here. Um, and I gave a kid on the football field a nickname. It was an incredible nickname. Like, it was like, it was, this kid was going places. But, but the problem was, was that kids are mean. Kids are really mean. And so what, what happened was kids on the football team started um, calling him that nickname at school and started making fun of him for the nickname that I had given him. And so his dad came up to me and was like, hey, stop calling him that. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, like literally, I had, a, I had to interrupt practice one day and I had to say, hey, coach, I need to make an announcement. Hey, guys, stop calling this kid that nickname because he doesn't like it guys are mean and you suck, so like, just stop doing it, like, like, kids just are so mean, and so, um, don't be mean with giving a nickname, you have to have permission to give the nickname, because otherwise, you're just a bully, the fourth rule of giving a nickname, this is the last one, so, um, just bear with me, the nickname has to fit the person, right, it has to fit the person that you're calling them that, um, if it doesn't make sense, then no one's going to catch on to call them the nickname. Why are you calling him that? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Well, there's a long story behind it. No one's going to pick up on that. Like, it just, it just doesn't work. So the, the best nicknames oftentimes describe the person that you're giving the nickname better than even their real name. The, the best nicknames describe not just the person, but the relationship. Now, here's where I'm going. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, Jesus was given a name. He had a given name. That name was Jesus. That was his given name. But Jesus also had a nickname. We're going to get there in just a moment. But first, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, And she will give, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save the people from their sins. Jesus was, was Jesus' given name. That was the name that he had. In fact, Jesus is a pretty common name even to this day. We actually have someone in our church whose name is Jesus. He goes by Jesus, but his name is Jesus, right? Like, like he told me his name was Jesus when I, when I first met him, and I started just calling him Jesus from, from then on, because you know a church is good if Jesus goes there. Come on, somebody. We got Jesus here, y'all. Like, it's good. But he was also given a nickname. The nickname that Jesus was given is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says this, look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. A nickname describes the relationship. Jesus, but they don't know him by his nickname. 
because he hasn't become God with them. He hasn't become God with us. So many of us call him by his given name, but we don't call him Emmanuel, God with us, because we don't spend time with him, because we don't know him. We just know him on Sunday. We just know him as Jesus, but he's not with us. I want you to understand this morning that that, that God is with us, that God is here, that he is with you every single day of your life. He never leaves you or forsakes you. He's always with you. You can't get away. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love the word dwelling. To dwell means to live among, to be with, to dwell. Honey, I just want to dwell with you. We don't talk like that. But, like, I love the word dwell. Because, because it means God is with us. He's here. That's not what the Bible says. goes on, it says, he has seen the glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. His dwelling is among us. I think about the life of Jesus. And um, maybe, maybe I should say it like this. Think about Jesus and what you know about him. Just for a moment. Think about Jesus and what you know about him. The fact of the matter is, is we don't know a whole lot about Jesus. We know a lot of stories that were told about his life in four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the Gospels. But a lot of those stories are told over and over again. It's the same story over and over again in those four books. It's not like they're four new stories, or four new books with new stories. What we know about Jesus is, is really contained from the time that he was born to the time he was 30 years old. We don't know much about. All we know is that at 12 years old, he got lost in the temple. His parents didn't know where he was. He got lost when he was 12. And then from 12 to 30 years old, we don't know a whole lot about. Now, we know that according to Jewish tradition, that boys at the age of 12 would often learn the trade of the father. We know that that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. So Jesus was was probably a carpenter. He probably learned that trade. You fellas that work work with wood and work with your hands and work with carpentry, Jesus knows you. And, and, and Jesus has been there. We don't know a whole lot about him from zero to 30, except that I believe that Jesus experiences the human life from zero to Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17. Again, I'm going to read from the message paraphrase, so this may not sound a lot like the Bible to you. That's why he had to enter into every detail of the human life. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He had to enter into every detail of the human life. Then when he came before God as the high priest to get rid of the people's sins. So what, what, what the writer is saying is that Jesus had to come to experience human life in all of its detail so that when the time came for him to save the people, this is what happens. He would have already experienced it all himself. Ladies and gentlemen, the Savior that Jesus is is not a Savior that is clueless. He's a Savior that knows exactly what you go through. He's a Savior that knows exactly what you experience. 
goes on, all the pain and all the testing, he would be able uh, to help where help was needed. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is a savior that can identify with exactly where you are in your life right now, right here in this moment. Jesus needed to experience life as a human being so that he could relate to us so that he could help where help was needed. I'm thankful for Jesus that he came to this earth and he didn't bury his face in the textbook. He didn't hide behind a desk. He didn't spend his time studying because he was a savior that could identify with with me and identify with you and identify with all of us and what we go through. I don't know about you, but I I know that the relationships that I have with people that have been places that I've already been um, are, are a lot stronger than those that I've, I've not been with, like, or that where I've not been. So what I'm trying to say is I can help someone with a specific issue that I've already gone through. I can help someone with in their life if I've already experienced what they're going through. I moved around a lot as a kid. I can identify with those of you that have moved around a lot because that was me. But how God is, 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 is good is he gave me a wife that didn't move around a lot. For those of you that have been stuck in rhythm your whole life, guess what? My wife can identify with you. That's, that's, that's how he can do that. And it's just, it's just an amazing thing how God's worked through me. There is nothing that you can go through that Jesus has not experienced. So today I want to give you three quick things that Jesus can understand. Number one, Jesus understands our relationships. Jesus understands relationships. Write that down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write that down. Pick it up, no? My pastor said that he laughs when people laugh at him. He says it, so I try it and it works. Jesus understands relationships. He had a family. We don't talk about Jesus' family very often, but check out Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It says, then they saw him. He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters are here among us too. They were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. And, and can you imagine, so this, this scripture tells about Jesus' siblings. Can you imagine what it was like to be Jesus' brother or sister? Joseph turns and looks, who threw that carrot at dinner table? And they're like, it was Jesus. Yeah, right. They're not going to blame Jesus. Like he, Joseph knows that Jesus is perfect. And, and then my mind starts going, and I'm like, at what point did Judas and James and, and Simon and Peter, what time, at what point did they realize that Jesus was the son of God and that he really was perfect? Like, like, did they, like, did they try to blame stuff on him, or did they already always know that he was perfect? And then once they figured it out, I don't know how they did it. Like, that, that sibling that you have is always perfect. That's, that's your mom and dad always like. And then it's like, all right, so now Mary and Joseph, like, did they treat him differently than the other ones? Like, my mind starts racing because I know what families are like. Families are crazy. Jesus had family. You can identify with the crazy if you have family like me and mine. understands where we've been. He understands relationships. He 
I know what some of y'all are thinking. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but you ain't getting married. You don't know nothing about marriage. If, if, if you think that, I hope that you weren't here last week. Because last week, we talked about how Jesus is coming back like a groom. And, 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 and the church is going to meet him in the sky like a bride that is beautifully dressed for her husband. And so I would, I would submit to you that, that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be married because he's married to the church. And not only does he know what it's like to be married, but he knows what it's like when the wife is unfaithful. Because the church has so often turned their back on Jesus. The children of Israel turned their backs on God over and over and over throughout all the Old Testament. Jesus can't only identify with marriage, but he can identify with the Lord's marriage. Pastor Adam, that's good preaching. You keep going. You're doing a great job. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Mark chapter 6, verse 21 says, When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. His own family said he was crazy. His own family said that he was out of his mind. Jesus can identify with relationship problems. He had them. His closest friend betrayed him for silver. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. Number two, Jesus understands life. He just understands life. He experienced it. Think about life just for a second. Think about what your life is like. Like, like most of you identify with your life being about your work, right? But Jesus was a carpenter. life was like. He knew how hard it could get. In fact, Jesus had to pay taxes. Tax base, I don't know, pay tax He paid taxes. Everything in our lives he can relate to. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the New Living Translation says, the high priest is our, uh, I'm sorry, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings that we do, but he did not sin. Satan wants you to think that Jesus is a God that you cannot relate to, that he cannot relate to you. But our God became human flesh so that he could identify with us. That's how much he loves us. There's no other God like that. He knows what it's like for people to stab him in the back, and he knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like for people to doubt him. You say you're the son of God, prove it. He knows what it's like to be doubted. He knows what it's like to have the voices in his head. The voices that, that people say to him that he's not worthy to be called the son of God. He faced those. And we can't understand that Jesus was God because we're not God. But we can understand that Jesus was human because we are human. Number three, Jesus understands pain. Now, this isn't just physical pain. This is also emotional pain. Because we all know when I say the word pain, we can all 
identify with pain. We've all experienced it. We know that it's both physical because we stub our toe. We also know because it's, it's, it's emotional because we have a heart. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 in the New Living Translation says, He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. He turned, we turned our backs on him. Again, we're unfaithful. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and he did not care. He was despised and rejected. What that means in today's language is if, if I were just to, to put it in today's language, Jesus was bullied. He was bullied. He was picked on. He was despised and rejected. The kids didn't want to be with him. The kids didn't want to sit by him at, at, at lunch. The kids didn't want to be with him at recess. Can you imagine kids at recess with Jesus and what that must have been like? He was despised and rejected. Later on in life, the, the recess is the worst place on the, at a school and the lunchroom is the second worst place at a school. Come on, teachers. Any teachers in the house? Like, like it's, it's bad. Those places are like, I'll just say bullying kids come home and they talk, and I, and I always ask my kids, um, Graham, because he's in fifth grade and he still does recess, I say, Graham, how was recess? Anna comes home because she's in junior high, I say, Anna, how was lunch? Because those are the two worst places at, at, at school. Um, I remember when I was in the fifth grade, uh, I, was, I was at a new school, which is kind of my thing, I went to new schools all the time, it was really cool. Um, I went to a new school in Rochelle, Illinois. I was the new kid, but there was this kid in my class, his name was Matthew, that everyone picked on. Uh, Matthew was picked on because Matthew beat Anna in fifth grade. Well, what we didn't know as a fifth grader was that Matthew had a kidney issue, that he had a disease with his kidneys that caused him to bleed too much. He couldn't control his bladder. And as a fifth grader, that's funny. But as, as a man, I'm going, So what happened was, was um, I'm, I'm there, I'm the new kid, I'm trying to meet new friends, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm with him in, in the, at the lunchroom, I, I sit down next to Matthew, and all of a sudden these kids are saying, Adam, why are you sitting next to him? You seem cool, but why are you sitting next to that kid? Well, I'm sitting next to him because no one else is. But Adam. does. You just watch. And then the next thing you know, what are the kids doing? They're picking on Adam at recess. No one's sitting next to me at the lunch table. And so so all of a sudden I go to recess and, and this kid, like I'm wearing a Cubs hat. I was I lived in, in northern Illinois, so it was more acceptable there than it is here in Boston. You guys are mean. So I'm wearing my Cubs hat at recess and this kid picks like, like rips my hat off my head, and, and the, it was it was a snapback, and it was a snapback rip, and he broke my hat, and I was so mad, I went home, and I was crying, and he, he ripped my hat off my head, picked on me, but you know what, you know what I did, I wish I could tell you that I started loving Matt, but I didn't, because I didn't sit next to him at lunch, 
start giving me some math because I'm like, people will need to hate if I wasn't being negative. Jesus can identify with Matthew, but he can identify with the bully too because he was picked on. The Bible doesn't say much about Jesus' childhood, but I think it's safe to say that Jesus was picked on because he was despised and rejected. I can hear him see that kid over there. His mom and his dad weren't even married when he was born. And in fact, his mom claimed that she was a virgin when he was born. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrow. The word sorrow simply means deep, distressed, sadness. Like Jesus was sad when he was when he was born. He was a sad man. He was a man of sorrow. He knew what emotional pain was like, but he also knew what physical pain was like because just a few verses later in Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was pierced. For our rebellion, he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that he, we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. He was tortured. Jesus being a man means that he has the ability to look me in the eyes and say, Adam, I see you. I identify with what you're going through because I've been there. People rejected me too. People despised me too. People picked on me too. People falsely accused me as well. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. It says, there are friends who destroyed each other, but a real friend sticks closer to his brother. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that Jesus wants to be your real friend today. One of the things that I love most about Jesus is that he's a real friend that I can meet with every single day. You know, the best friends that I have are the ones that I call on my best days and the ones that I call on my worst days. But no matter what happens, we always contact each other every single day. The best relationships that I have are with people that I talk to every single day. Every morning at 6.30, I know I have an appointment that no one can interrupt. Sometimes it's a little early. But it, I try my best now, nowadays, I try my best never to make it later. Because I know that I have an appointment with the God that loves me so much that he wants to be my friend. So I want to conclude with three simple responses to Jesus as our friend today. Three simple responses to Jesus as our friend today. Number one, Make Jesus your best friend. Make him your best friend. In the day and age of social media, we have a lot of friends. I, I don't know how many Facebook friends I have, but it's well over a thousand. Do I have a thousand friends? I absolutely do not have a thousand friends. I'm not that popular. But the word friend has become this, this thing that we really that, that really doesn't have any meaning to anymore. It doesn't have any meaning to us anymore. We can follow someone and they can 
still be our friend. Ladies and gentlemen, do more than just follow Jesus. Be his friend. And that requires us to do more than just Sundays. Jesus is a, a Sunday to Sunday friend. He's not a Sunday morning friend. He's more than just to be followed. He's more than acquaintance. You will only get out of your friendship with Jesus what you put into it. Don't just follow him. Make him your friend. Emmanuel. God with us. One of the most scary, uh, one of the scariest passages of scripture is found in Matthew chapter 7. The last series that we did, um, all of our series are, are on our website. You can, you can go back and listen to any of them. But the last one that we talked about, we talked about how heaven is an itty-bitty game. It's a, it's a narrow game. We talk, it, it was, the series is called One Minute After You Die. Heaven is this itty-bitty game, but, but hell is this big, broad game that, that a lot of people go through. But heaven is a small game that not many go through. In Matthew chapter 7, the Bible says that, that there will come a day when people that call Jesus Lord, Lord, will go into heaven. And he will look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a big deal to know Jesus. But the way you know him is by giving him your heart. That's why we said your heart is your, is your ticket to, to heaven, but it's also your ticket to hell. What do you know? You know him. You love him because he is worthy. He has gone through everything that you've gone through, and he identifies with everything that you're in right now. John chapter 15, verse 15 says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. But now you are my friends. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have told you everything that the Father has told me. He says, now you're my friends. I've not hidden anything from you. Number two. So first make Jesus... Um, Make Jesus your best friend. Number two is talk to him. Just talk to Jesus. Can I just say that we make a bigger deal out of prayer than it needs to be? We say thee and thou all of a sudden when we start to talk, when we start to pray. We say things like amen when we're done. When, when was the last time you called your friend thee and thou? Talk to him like he's your friend. Some of you maybe be, be a, some of you may be scared of praying because you're you're used to someone else doing it for you. Ladies and gentlemen, that veil has been torn. We can go to the throne room of grace on our own. You can talk to God. I don't have to talk to him for you. I'm not special. I'm not that special. You can go to him. And you can go to him as your friend. Just talk to him every morning. On your way to work, turn off the radio and just say, God, I'm here. The Bible says to, to pray without ceasing. That, that is to have a constant communication with, with God. Some of you are like, Adam, I can't, I can't talk to anybody that long. I can't, I can't do anything without ceasing. 
introduces you to something. You probably haven't put that one down in a while, have you? You do that, you do that without ceasing. You do, we do our cell phones without ceasing. Some of your, some of your, your husbands are judging your wives. Going, this is you. Some of your wives are judging your husbands. This is you. Instead of having a relationship with your phone, try to have a relationship with your God. Try to have a relationship with Him first, and then have a relationship with your other people. Your your phone should be way down on the list, and the people that's that's on it should be even further down. Unless it's your your mama, unless it's your kids, your spouse. to hear from you. You know, you know what Jesus is doing right now? I want to I show you something in, in, in the Bible. In the, in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it tells us what Jesus is doing right now in this moment. It says, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life and he is sitting in the place of honor on God's right hand. Right now at this moment, he is sitting next to God. And this is what he is doing. He is pleading for us. You see, right now, we all have a friend that is standing next to God. And he's saying, God, you see that, that guy right there? Because I love them, and I care for them, and I want them to be right here with us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, this is the last verse for the day. So let us come boldly to the throne of gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find his grace to help us when we need it the most. Ladies and gentlemen, we can go before the throne room of God. We can walk into a king's room where he is sitting on a throne. And we can go before him. And you know what you'll find there? You'll find grace. You'll find mercy first. That's what this verse says. You'll find mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is, is not getting what we deserve. deserve death. But God says, no, 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 I'm not going to give you death. I'm going to give you life because I have mercy. The second thing that we'll find in that throne room is, is grace. And grace is getting what we do not deserve, receiving what we do not deserve. You see, we, we receive life because even though we don't deserve it. The third thing that Hebrews says that we'll find in that room
we're non-denominational church, and we, we, don't, we don't have a tradition that we have to follow, we, we do our best to, to follow a, a, a God that wants to be in relationship with us. And we don't, we don't have to, to tell you how it's going to be. I don't know what your tradition is, but I want you to know that Jesus is not about the tradition, but he's about your heart. He's about a relationship with you. Tradition won't save you. Information won't save you. But the God of relationship will. But it starts with making you your best friend by giving you your heart. Is Jesus your best friend? If he's not, I want to help you make him your best friend today. See, my friends, they have my heart. My friends have my attention. My friends can call me and say, Adam, hey, I need your help. I'm there. What do you need? Some of you come from traditions where, where, where Jesus seemed like he was untouchable. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus came so that you could touch him. And not just so that you could touch him, so that he could touch you. Could help you in your darkest moment. Is there anyone in this room today that would say, Pastor Adam, I, Jesus has not been my friend, but I would like him to be. Anybody like that at all? Just, just, just be brave, just for a second. Thank you, I see you. Anybody else? Jesus has not been my friend, but I want him to be. raise your hand, I want to lead you in a, in a prayer, but it has to come from your heart. It's not the words that I say. The fact of the matter is, is you can say it all you want. You can just say, God, I want you to be my friend. I believe Jesus died for me. He rose from the dead to give me life. So I turn away from my old self and I become new. I just want you to be my friend, God. You can do it on your own. If you said raise your hand and you want to say that prayer and you want to, to say the words that I say, not because I'm special, but because you just want help, I will help you. Say, God, I believe that Jesus wants to be my friend. He wanted to be my friend so much that he died for me. So God, I ask for you to come into my life, to make me new, and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, still, keep them down. Maybe you're here and you've given your heart.
heart to Jesus. Oh, you just need to be a better friend. You need to talk to him. You need to be with him. You need to know him as God would. I'm going to say a prayer for you. And then at the end, we're just going to celebrate. We're going to clap. We're going to scream. We're going to shout. And we're going to sing a song. And we'll be done. Father God, I thank you. trusted as my best friend. Tomorrow morning, I can't wait to get up to read your word. I can't wait to get up and to follow you. I can't wait to talk to you, to have a conversation with you, to tell you how much I need you, God, because I need you every single day, God. I pray that we would live our lives like we need you before we actually really to rely on you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, somebody. Let's go. Give God a hand today. Is God good? Is God good?